Greetings. Nice to have you back with us on Unlocking the Truth. We are excited you are joining us in this podcast by Precept Ministries Canada to discover God's truth for yourself and to know Him deeply. We are in a series called Jesus' Message to the Seven Churches that takes us through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And here is Mark Sheldrake with episode 3, The Church at Ephesus. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here again, another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're working through the seven churches of Revelation. This is episode three. We're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus. Uh, we're going to uh, be challenged today. Oh, man, in preparation for this, another challenging week uh, in the Word of God. Before we get into that, I have some exciting news. Uh, we are going back to in-person training workshops Woohoo! It has been two years since we have done in-person training workshops, and I am excited to let you know that if you are in the Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia area, I'm coming with uh, one of our other trainers, and we are going to be doing some workshops June 10th and 11th. Uh, you can come and uh, participate in Essentials of Inductive Bible Study and How to Study a New Testament letter, how great it is to be getting back out on the road. Also, we are going to be in Langley, British Columbia at the end of June and uh, looking forward to studying New Testament letter in the book of Second Peter there. That uh, is, I believe, uh, June 24th and 25th. But you can check out the website uh, and you can see all of the online training that we're going to continue to have as well as the in-person workshops. If you want to host <clears throat> a training workshop in your church, you could email us at training at preceptministries.ca. We would love to come and do one of our uh, inductive Bible study skills workshops with uh, people in your uh, area of the country. All right. Also, another great, great opportunity, folks. We are heading to Israel. Uh, we're going to be heading to Israel March uh, 15th to March 28th, uh, 2023. And if you want to participate in Precept Canada's Israel Study Tour, uh, you can check out our website for more information on it. But uh, let me tell you, folks, this trip to Israel with Precept is a study tour. Uh, we teach from the Word of God each and every day. We study God's Word as well as look at the... Uh, places that Jesus taught and Jesus walked um, with the historical perspective of our tour guide from Israel. So the bus is filling up pretty quick, but you can get involved and you can come with us to Israel. Uh, what a great opportunity that will be. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a Canadian bus uh, filled with people from all over the country uh, traveling throughout Israel uh, walking where Jesus walked. I've done the trip a couple times already uh, in the past few years, and it is a life changer. You'll never look at the Bible the same way again. It is the chance of a lifetime to uh, go and study in Israel. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to teach there. I can't wait to uh, again visit the sites myself and just soak in the Holy Land and, of course, all of the wonderful delicacies of that uh, wonderful country. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Let me pray, 
and uh, then we'll we'll dig into the uh, Revelation chapter two. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us to to come together uh, through this technology to be able to look into your word and to see uh, the scriptures uh, for um, what they are. Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us to discern uh, what is going on in these verses and how they apply to each and every one of us uh, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, it is May 16th when I'm recording this. I'm assuming it'll probably come out uh, two weeks from uh, today that I'm recording. But uh, I've got to tell you, um, May 16th, 2023, or 2022. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Uh, I spent the whole weekend in the morning, folks. I was mourning uh, because the Toronto Maple Leafs lost in Game 7 to the Tampa Bay Lightning, the two-time champions. They lost in Game 7 for the fifth time in a row. 18 years since the Toronto Maple Leafs made it to the second round of the playoffs. 2004 was the year. I was saying to my wife as I was mourning over their great loss again, I said, you know, they haven't won or moved into the second round of the playoffs since the year our son was born and the year we sold our condo, Minium, which I had painted with maple leaf blue paint Uh, The bottom half of the walls and the top half of the walls were maple leaf white with a wallpaper Toronto maple leaf banner all the way around the room. It was an idol to the Toronto maple leaves. (laughs) And uh, we sold that condo because uh, our son was born and we needed something a little bit bigger. But is that the curse? Is that the curse right there of causing the Toronto maple leaves to lose for 18 years straight? I don't think so. But uh, I've got to tell you, yesterday on the Lord's Day, which, uh, you know, the day after the loss, I was kind of in a funk. I was uh, not focused well yesterday and uh, woke up a little bit more chipper this morning, realizing, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, what they do is they suck the life out of you when they lose And three days later, they give you hope again. But I was just thinking about that whole situation and just thinking about how I'm so thankful that my true hope is in Jesus and not in a hockey team. That the focus is on Jesus and what Jesus has done for me and how I live my life now according to the truths of the gospel. And it, it, it does bring us back, you know, the timing of all of this in the book of, uh, the book of Revelation and the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, it all comes together. <clears throat> uh, like, like many sports analogies, there is a purpose in it. But here, uh, I wanted to just draw our attention and bring us into <clears throat> keeping an eye and our focus on Jesus. And, and in the book of Revelation, last week, when uh, last episode, when we were looking through this, we did get a wonderful description of Jesus in, in chapter 1. And when we come into these churches, we have to approach these churches and understand that each and every one of them, uh, they do apply uh, to us today as much as they applied 
the day that John put them on paper. So as we we're going to dig into these, I've just got some some opening uh, thoughts beyond beyond the maple leaves. I've got some opening thoughts to think about as we work through uh, these details of the seven churches. And when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you are looking for a church, when you're looking at a new church to attend, have you ever thought about which one is the right one that I should attend? How do, how do we base uh, going to a new church? Uh, do we base going on to going and looking at a new church based on the building itself? Do we do we look at the technology that is within the building and going, wow, that building is massive. It's beautiful. Uh, I want to go there. It's got the biggest screen up at the front for the lyrics. I mean, they have a fog machine and they have the band of all bands. Uh, all of these things, are these the things that draw us into uh, the church that, that we choose to go to? You know, you could have a, a massive, beautiful church building, but it could be completely dead inside. What about looking for a small church? You know, you don't go based on the building, but you you look at what the individuals are doing inside the building. I mean, you could have a very small building with a very small number of people, but that congregation could be vibrant and alive for Jesus Christ. Uh, there could be one church that you go and visit, that it could be doing all kinds of service projects, all kinds of things to meet the needs of the community around you, to meet the, the needs of the people within the church. But all of these projects that are being done, all of these things to, to make an impact on the community, uh, they could be done without the right motivation. Uh, there could be a church that we think is a rich church based on what they have in their bank account, but that church could be poor in God's eyes. Uh, we could look at a church that has no money in the bank, nothing to stand on, barely holding on to their church building, but they could be very rich in God's eyes. Uh, for us to be able to look at the church just from some of its physical factors, uh, we may not be able to really determine what is the right church. A lot of people choose churches based on uh, the worship band, what the building is doing, what the programs they're offering, all of these things. But you see, there's only one individual that can do a proper evaluation of the church. Uh, Jesus is that person who can go beyond the external things that you and I can look at, and he can look right into the heart and soul of the church. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, the second part of that verse, uh, he says, First, I, I will kill her children with pestilence, and, and all the churches will know that I am he. But then this is what he says. He says, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. 
Well, only Jesus can look uh, deeper into the minds, the heart, and the soul of the church to know what is really going on. <clears throat> you see, in every one of these letters that we're going to look at, in all seven churches, there is application for us. Uh, not only is there application for the churches today, but there's application for, for you and I. Uh, it's not the church uh, building, uh, the denomination, the structure that determines the spiritual life of that church. It's the people in the church. Is that why John says in Revelation chapter 2, he who has an ear, let him hear? Uh, we've got to examine our hearts in light of what Jesus is seeing in each church. Uh, remember, uh, he is the one standing amongst the golden uh, lampstands. And so we're going to take an approach into each of these churches, and we're going to not only apply them to, to the church uh, in general or the churches uh, that we have today, but we also want to be able to put them into uh, an understanding of where that applies for us. You see, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, in these seven churches, Jesus is essentially taking an x-ray of these seven churches. He's looking into the heart and the soul of the church, looking beyond the structure, beyond the denomination, beyond the building, beyond all of the externals, and going and doing a deep dive within. And he gives this information to John, and John then writes for all of us to know. He who has an ear, let him hear. All right, let's go and get into uh, this book in Ephesus. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about the church and the place uh, of Ephesus before uh, we dig in. So the historically, uh, the city of Ephesus was the main worship center for the goddess uh, Artemis. All right, the goddess, uh, she's the goddess of hunting and fertility. Everything in Ephesus surrounded uh, the worship of these pagan gods. Everything came out of it, out of the temple worship of these uh, gods, all right? But they were an influential commercial and cultural center. They were an important place on the trade routes. They were a rich uh, place, lots of money, but there were also... Uh, because of the strong influence of commercial and culture, maybe even political, people were pushed into pagan worship. All right, so this, this place was filled uh, with idol worship. Uh, the church itself, the church of Ephesus, planted 40 to 50 years before Revelation chapter 2. Uh, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila went to Ephesus uh, and preached the gospel, and the church uh, came to salvation. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesian church in around 60 AD. So this church became uh, a big turning point and also 
a major influence on the planting of the other churches in Asia Minor, and they were able to come combat all of the idol worship and move away from all of that idol worship and follow after Jesus. So this is a significant church, and this is why uh, we start with Ephesus and why Revelation starts because of the major influence Ephesus had on the other churches as well. All right, let's look into the verses. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel in the church in Ephesus, uh, write this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, uh, says this. All right, so Every letter that we're going to be working through to the churches, they kind of uh, break down into the same model of what they are to accomplish. All right. First, there is a description of Jesus. Each letter will have a description of Jesus. Then there will be a commendation, the things that the church is doing good. There will be a, a reproof if there is a reproof. And then there will be an action to be taken from that reproof. And then there is a promise to those who overcome. All right, so let's, we'll, we'll break down each week based on that, okay? The description of Jesus, the reproof, uh, the commendation, the reproof if there is one, then the action that must be taken, and then the promise to the overcomer. And once we come to the end of this series, we'll look back on all the promises to the overcomer, but we'll touch on them each and every episode that we go through. All right, let's start with the description of Jesus. All right, Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is directly coming back from uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Uh, the symbol of the, of the sword, for example, was a symbol of judgment. All right, but what we learn from this, right from the very beginning in this letter to Ephesus, is that... Uh, Jesus is the one who is over the seven churches. Not only is he over the seven churches, he's in the midst of the seven churches. This is why we can use the example of the x-ray. He's doing a deep dive into each of the churches. So it's not John who's writing these judgments and these things against the churches. It is Jesus who is giving these things to John to write. Remember the path that we had in episode one, from God to Jesus to the angel to John to the bond servants. This is how the revel of Je revelation of Jesus Christ came through. All right, so Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven churches, and here's what he has to say to the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, and you toil in perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Uh, and then verse 4 becomes the but. So let's just look 
at uh, verses 2 and 3 for a minute. All right, so uh, if we were to look at the commendations that come from this church, I want to take us before we look at these individual commendations, and I want you to see one of the commendations that Paul had for this church as well. And Paul uh, commended the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And here's what he said to the church. He says, For this reason, I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for while making mention of you in our prayers. So in verse 15, he tells them that uh, he has heard, you know, great, I've heard about how you are growing in your faith in the Lord. And that because of your growing in your faith in the Lord, that you have a love for one another. This is a, a great commendation from Paul uh, to the church. And, and Jesus now uh, is commending them as well. And he's like, I know your deeds. You know, I know how you are uh, working. Okay. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. You are working hard. You are doing the things uh, that you do well for me, that you are working at it, that you are persevering. Think about where they are. They're in the midst of a place full of idol worship. They're com always combating false teaching and false doctrine and running strong in that. I know your deeds. And you toil and persevere. Look what he says next. He says that you can't tolerate evil men. Uh, that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And that you have found them to be false. Uh, first of all, let's, let's just kind of list these things out so that we get a good understanding of the commendations. All right, first, here's what this church is doing really well. They are faithful to a T to the Word of God. Here's, here's how they are so faithful to God's Word and God's teaching in the midst of this false doctrine, this place that is filled with false teaching. Here, here, here's the first thing that they do. They don't tolerate evil men. All right? You put to the test. All right, so let's let's be very careful to understand this, is that they do not allow others to fill their pulpit, so to speak. All right? They watch their pulpit to ensure that they only have those in their church teaching from the pulpit that teach solid, sound doctrine. Uh, John talked about this in his uh, second letter, the importance of uh, guarding uh, the pulpit. And so let's look at Second uh, John uh, verses uh, 7 to 11. And listen to what uh, John says regarding the importance of protecting what is being taught. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, 
that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive the full award. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And so we see right here that, you know, when you're, when you're listening to something and it doesn't sound right, don't let it enter. Yeah, don't don't get involved with those things. I mean, we are seeing this in the world today. We are seeing scripture twisted to fit so many different agendas, whether it be a political agenda or whether it be a an agenda to to promote and and worship sin, whatever it may be. Scripture is being twisted and it's being twisted from the pulpit and people are falling into the trap of listening to all these things and it's just wrong. But this church right here, they watched, they guarded the pulpit. They guarded who came before their church family to preach the message of Jesus Christ. And they did not allow those people to have a voice. You don't tolerate evil men. Uh, This is one thing that we need to learn. We need to be able to do this in 2022. We need to be able to stand and we need to be able to stand on the truth of the word of God and not tolerate evil men and the garbage that they are promoting as though it were truth of God's word. This church was doing that well. Uh, this that's the kind of church that I want to participate in. The one, the one that holds true to the word of God and does not tolerate false teaching. Uh, that's not all they did, though. Uh, look what it says here. Uh, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. Oh, yes, uh, to be able to have the courage and the strength to, to take everything that they're hearing and align it back to the word of God and even to look at their authority and say, no, that does not align with the truth of scripture and test what they have heard to the plumb line, which is God's word. John, he too addresses this. Uh, he addresses it in his first letter, First uh, John chapter four, uh, verses one to six. All right, listen to what uh, John says here regarding this very topic of testing. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is uh, is not from God. And that it is spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. 
You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is why I absolutely love and will promote to the day I die inductive Bible study. This is why I love serving I can't call it work. It's serving with precept ministries and teaching classes and workshops across Canada and online because I want people to know the Word of God through observation, interpretation, and application so that they can use God's Word as the plumb line, that anytime they hear something that is outside of the truth of the gospel, not outside of what I might say or another person might say, but what God's word says when it says outside of that, they raise a red flag and they test it and they find that it is not of God. This church was doing this. This church was protecting their pulpit. This church was testing people and their authority and their teaching, and they were finding out that there were people that weren't really with the right motivation and the right doctrine within their church, and they were not tolerating it. Oh, man, we need more of that today. Uh, I just went through just these verses, and I, I just grabbed some words that, that come directly from the New American Standard. That these words that describe the, the wonderfulness of this church, the things that they were doing so well. Uh, they were persevering. They were enduring. They were not growing weary. They were not tolerating. They were working hard. They were doing good deeds. And then, oh man, there's one more that we've got to cover that they were doing so well, which is so important, is they hate uh, the Nicolaitans uh, like Jesus also uh, we gotta we gotta pause here and because this is actually a commendation that's found down in the reproof so although you know we are going verse by verse we want to pull out this commendation that comes from verse six because we need to look at the Nicolaitans for a minute what what in the world are the Nicolaitans the Nicolaitans, they were a group of people uh, that they, they compromised their faith. All right. They, they compromised their faith by adding in idol worship. Uh, Irenaeus was uh, a bishop at the time, and he wrote historically about this. He wrote about uh, Nicholas, who became a deacon in Acts chapter 6, and that Nicholas was a false believer who eventually became an apostate, and he was the one who led people into immorality, and he assaulted the church uh, with sexual temptations. And so a part of this uh, 
fertility god, this Artemis that was around that time. Uh, Nicol- the Nicolaitans, they started to have gospel plus, which led them into pagan worship. And here, this church did not tolerate his teaching. They hated that they were adding to. They hated that people were deceived by this false brother. I mean, when I look at this church, I think to myself, isn't this the church that you want to attend? Isn't this the church that you want to be a part of because they don't tolerate false teaching? They make sure that they have good teaching from the pulpit, that that people are are being protected from false idol worship and all of this amazing stuff that's going on. You would not believe the number of times I have had precept leaders email me and tell me that some of the stuff that's being taught from their pulpit doesn't align with the word of God because they have these red flags being raised. And yet you look at this church and automatically you think, man, Ephesus would be the church to be at if you were one who loved the word of God. Uh, you look at that and go, oh man, that is fantastic. I bet you the teaching from the pulpit was amazing. Bang on doctrine. Oh, yes. No cringeworthy moments. Nobody sneaking in unnoticed, bringing in false teaching because they were holding true to the standard of God's word. Then we get to verse 4. Hello, verse four, but, but I have this against you. Remember (laughs) this, this is where this becomes very painful. This, this becomes very painful for you and I, because guess what? All of those things that I just mentioned, all those things are the externals. Don't allow people in your pulpit. You can hear it. Don't allow it to enter in, protect the teaching, stand by the word of God, all of these things, they are all good, okay? That's why they're being commended for them. But I have this against you. You left your first love. Oh, man. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to lose your first love? Well, there's two views, two views that come out of uh, losing this first love. So let's just let's just lay them both out. Okay. So view number one is that they lost their their love for one another. Uh, Ephesians chapter one fifteen might be the basis for holding that view together, because Paul commended them for for loving one another. And yet, uh, could they have, over time, lost their love for one another because they were so stringent on holding uh, this uh, pattern and structure of the church? Uh, The second view of this is more likely to fit, all right, this 
view better fits where we are in the book of Revelation. It, it better fits with Jesus standing in the midst of the seven churches, giving this church an x-ray. The second view is that the church lost their first love, which is their inner devotion for Jesus Christ. They're doing all of these things well on the outside. They're doing all of these things well to protect the body of Christ within that church, but they've lost their devotion to Jesus. Uh, John Stott compared this loss of a first love to they've lost the love that a newly wed bride and groom have for one another. And so the the love that they had for Jesus has grown cold. As as they have grown in a church, they, the the way that I can best describe this is they've lost their focus and their motivation for why they were doing the things that they have been commended for well. This is, this is, this is the, the crossroads that we're, we're going to look at. But this church, man, this church was running well. They didn't tolerate false doctrine. They watched who was teaching in their pulpits. They were enduring. They were testing. They were rigorously working but they forgot why they were doing it. This, this reminds me of a story in the Gospels. Do you remember Martha? Uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, 38 to 42. Uh, now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be a taken away from her. <laughs> How many churches look like Mary and Martha? Well, what does this look like? Well, let me, let me wrap this together with uh, one scholar summed this up so well that I can't help but not share it with you. Jesus is more concerned about what we do with him than for him. Our toil in our works, in our deeds, are no substitute for our love for Jesus. 
how many churches go about doing the things that they are doing out of traditions and doing them because we have to do them, but they're not motivated by their love for Jesus. This this is the painful part. This is where service and programs and, and things we do take over relationship. There is no substitute for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus tells Martha that that will not be taken away from Mary. If, if, if you close your eyes and you, and you look at it, can you just imagine that? There's Mary hanging on to every word that Jesus has to say. With just imagine looking into her eyes with the with the the deep love for Jesus to be able to just sit there and and listen to his teachings. Well, off in the background, there's all this stirring around and and pots and pans clinging and clanging together and and maybe teapots going off, whatever it may be, all of this noise. I got to get this place ready. I got to do all this stuff because Jesus is here. I got to I got to get the cheese platter. I got to get the meat out. I got to do all this stuff. And Mary's just sitting there. She Mar- Martha's getting all angry at it. Jesus says, "Your focus is off. You should be here with your sister sitting in my presence." Doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't be doing these things for the Lord within our churches and taking on these service projects, but, it, but don't forget the motivation behind it. Don't forget that there's no greater importance than our love for Jesus. Uh, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34 and and just listen to the words of Jesus himself uh, don't worry about what I'm telling you just just take the scriptures and and align them for for yourself he says one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing all that he had answered them and asked him what commandment is the fir- foremost of all Jesus said foremost of all hero Israel the Lord our God is one, is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this church... This church in Ephesus, it started out on fire. They were doing all things right. That's what Paul, he was commending them, commending them for their faith in Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1. I've heard about your faith. Your faith is going so well. Way to go. Great job. Your love for Jesus is growing. And in your love for Jesus, as it grows, your love for one another is growing. And then Jesus comes back and he comes to them, you know, 40 to 50 years later than the church first starting. And he says, here's what you're doing really well. You're doing all the service stuff 
you're doing it great. You're not tolerating evil men. You're, you're persevering. You're enduring. But why? <laughs> you forgot. You forgot why you're doing these things. Jesus is our first love, our first focus, and everything that comes out of that is the byproduct of why we do the things we do. I could imagine that if churches were to take an x-ray, and if we were to take an x-ray of our own hearts, and we were to evaluate why we do the things we do for Jesus, I bet you we would change. We would stop doing some of the things we do out of the purpose of tradition, and we do it because we do it if we could do it for the love of Jesus. Listen, the love for Jesus is the reason that we don't tolerate bad doctrine in our pulpits. Uh, the reason we test the spirits, the, and we find things to be false is because we love Jesus and that's all we need. The reason we persevere and endure and we don't grow weary and that we don't tolerate and we work hard in doing good deeds is all a byproduct of our love for Jesus Christ. The reason that this church doesn't love the Nicolaitans is because it adds in sin and sexual temptation and doesn't allow all of that. They allow all of that to happen and these false doctrines to be led astray. We don't do that when our main focus is our love for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If there's no love, then our deeds and our works, they're worthless. John chapter 15, we're told that if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. All of these uh, things that are such an encouragement to us, but they've, our focus has got to be our first love. We... You can go back and you can look through the, the records and you can see 1 John in our, in our podcast. You can go back and listen to 1 John because 1 John is super convicting that uh, if we love Jesus, we love our brother. Oh, man. So much, so much happening here. Don't just be doing things to do things. Realign the motivation. Look what he says. Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. <laughs> All right, so... So there's, here's the action, okay? There's the commendation, the reproof, and the action that comes out of the reproof, and it is repent. 
But but there's a couple of R words that we want to look at. The first is repent, which obviously means to to make a 180, to take a complete turn from what you are currently doing. It doesn't mean that they need to stop protecting the pulpit and stop testing the spirits. They need to repent of the purpose and the reason for why they're doing that. They need to get back to their first love first. And when they are focused on their love for Jesus, all of this other stuff that we've talked about is the byproduct of that. It is okay to keep doing those things because Jesus says you're doing them well. You just have to have the right motivation. You know, my daughter, she's, she's, uh, started to drive and I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast before but those first few times that she's out driving my goodness I wish I had a brake on the other side of the car but I decided to uh, teach her another important thing how to fuel the car <laughs> uh, you know I, I, I told her I said you have to pay for your own gas, you know. Of course, um, I'm still paying for the gas until she's totally driving on her own. But we went to the gas station, and Logan was talking to me, and she said there's four options, or five options, for gas. Which button do I push? And I said, whatever you do, don't push the one that says diesel. This car doesn't take that kind of fuel. If you put that kind of fuel in there, the car won't run properly. It won't, it won't drive up to it, its ability and its standard of which it should drive. Well, which one should I put? Well, I always pick the cheapest one. If you want your car to drive the best, Logan, you can pick the most expensive one. But I always pick this one, the first button of the four that are together. That fuel right there will let your car run at an optimum. Wouldn't that be the same for you and I? That the fuel that runs our tank is our love for Jesus. It propels us forward to do the deeds that we are called to do. It is the main motivator for us to accomplish the things for the glory of God. So the first is repent. Do a 180. Just, just change your motivation. Turn around. And then look what he says. Remember. Remember when you first started. Remember how you didn't tolerate evil men and you were enduring through all of the false teaching and the false doctrine. Remember when you had people who were in the church that were not really saved and they tried to sway the church away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and you didn't tolerate that and you kicked them out and you were running well for Jesus because you were propelled by your love and your faith. Remember that? That's what you need to do. I'm constantly reminded of when I was a youth pastor 
eons ago when a young teen would come to Jesus Christ. I remember once uh, going to an event and the, te- and, the, and the student gave their life to Jesus and uh, a parent called me and said, what in the world happened this weekend? Because Jennifer is burning all of her CDs and all of her T-shirts that have are non-Christian bands, and she's getting rid of all the garbage that she has that's not of Jesus. And she was so excited, and she was so passionate, and so in love with Jesus that she was willing to get rid of things that she had hung on to for years and years and years. Hmm. That's what Jesus says we get back to. Why is it that the more we are in churches as adults and individuals and as churches, the older our churches get, whether it be the, the building or the church itself or us as individuals, we find it harder and harder to see the works motivated by the love of Jesus? Why is that? I don't have the answer. We try to persevere and do the things that we're doing, but sometimes they end up be happening out of more out of tradition than they do out of love. Well, we've done it that way always, so we got to do it. Where's the love of Jesus? How is this furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus our motivation for doing the things that we are doing? Repent. Remember what you were doing at first. Have everything motivated by your love for Jesus Christ. So many churches, I would say, and us as individuals, we're, we're at, at that famous crossroads. We can either go to the right or to the left. What do we do? Do we, do, we, do we repent and remember what it was like when we first started? Or do we just keep doing the things that we're doing? Do we just keep pressing forward, hoping that all of the deeds that we're doing are going to be enough for Jesus to recognize that we ran our race well? All the externals. Think about that when you go back to the initial, you know, example of looking at the church. Why do you go to the church for the building? Big, beautiful building with a big screen, great sound system, got tons of people in the church. Oh, that church has 5,000 people. It's a big church. It's got a sweet screen. Sound system's awesome. Oh, man, they got a glass pulpit. All these things. Yeah, this church must, must be good. (laughs) Jesus does an x-ray. And he says, church in Ephesus, you've lost your motivation. You've lost your love for Jesus. 
See, we're at the same crossroads. We can look good on the external. We can do everything in the church. We can be a part of the 20% who are doing 80% of the work in the church. We can be serving, serving, serving on 8,000 committees. Have no love for Jesus. Hearts may not be transformed by Jesus Christ, but trying to will ourselves into eternity by our works. You see, Jesus is doing an x-ray. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your soul. Does he see the love you have for him? Does he see something different? Does he see more than just works? Remember back when you first became a Christian. Does he see that love and passion and desire now? This is why the first of seven letters is so convicting. I feel like each of the next letters, they get harder and harder as we go through. But this is the crossroads that you're at right now. To the right, love for Jesus is my motivation. To the left, keep doing what I'm doing. Got to serve. But he's serving with the right motivation. Verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. (laughs) It's you and I. Do you hear what God is laying down in this episode of Unlocking the Truth? God is looking deep within our hearts. Would he say to you that you have lost your first love? Would he commend you for all the things you're doing well for your church and for your own life? But would he recognize that your love and motivation for why you do the things you do is gone? Repent and return. Here's the promise, because each, each one has a promise, right? We, we don't want to leave on, on just that. We want to we look at the promise. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Hmm. Eternity. Repent and remember, and you will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Eternity with him. Do you see what's at stake? To him who overcomes, who makes it to the end, runs well, has an overwhelming love for Jesus Christ, that the way they serve is motivated by their love for Jesus. When you get to the end and you overcome all that is to come, paradise. That should be our motivation. Spending eternity with Jesus, just like Martha and Mary. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus 
there was nothing greater for Mary to do than to sit at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she loved him. It was way more important than doing things. So let me give you a practical. What are you going to do from here? Well, I think you need to pray. I think you need to pray and ask God why you do the things that you do. Are they motivated by Jesus? And if you're, you're listening in on this each and every week and you're not regularly in the Word of God, that's the second challenge I have for you is that you've got to get into the Word of God. You want your love to grow for Jesus? You need to be in it. Observe. Interpret. Apply. Because in the 66 books of God's Word, you will meet Him. You will fall in love with Him. You will fall in love with his son, Jesus, for what he has done for you. And that will motivate you to love others. Seek first after him. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have had in this week's episode to look at the church at Ephesus. And Lord, I pray over each and every person who's listening to this podcast that you would search their hearts and their minds, that you would do an x-ray, that you would evaluate and then you would speak, that your spirit would show us the things that we need to, to change. That if we're doing things that are not motivated by our love for you, that we would stop. That we would repent and remember. But Lord, if we are just uh, doing these things that we're doing well, but we just need to, to be refired, to be rekindled afresh. Give us a hunger for your word so that we will get into the word of God, fall deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Visit our website, preceptministries.ca, to get more details on the 2023 Holy Land Tour. And be sure to register for an upcoming summer workshop, whether in person or online. You will find one that best suits where you are in your precept journey. Know God deeply. Live differently.